Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Scott Alford. He is one of the top online business mentors and advisors, and he also owns dozens of businesses that have collectively generated tens of millions of dollars. And this done in multiple niches, countries across the world, and so forth. In his new Investing with Scott newsletter, he gives you a behind-the-scenes look into acquiring, building, and scaling businesses based on his experience of helping hundreds of entrepreneurs scale all the way up to seven and eight figures. As an entrepreneur, since he was seven, and by the time he was 16, having a million-dollar business, while ending up a million in debt and now by 31 becoming a decamillionaire, he has a massive amount of insights, understandings, knowledge, and wisdom for scaling and building a business. You can now check what he's up to by going into investing.scottalford.com. If you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's Asynchronous, I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com is just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting guest, you know, that is coming with us, uh, again, coming from Startup Nation, you know, incredible founders, you know, coming from Israel. But the uh, we're going to be learning a lot about building, scaling, financing, you know, you name it. All the above, all the good stuff that we like to hear. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sagi Rodin. Welcome to the show. Alejandro, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So originally you were born in Russia, but then, you know, you ended up being raised in Israel. So give us a little bit of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? It was great. So, you know, I'm, I was born in St. Petersburg, which is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Came to Israel when I was uh, five. And, you know, since then, I'm, uh, I only remember Israel. Uh, visited Russia a few times, but uh, that's uh, mainly it. Uh, you know, growing up was uh, great. Israel is a great uh, country uh, to grow in and, uh, and uh, grow up uh, in Israel is... Uh, it's a great experience. You know, the weather is great. The food is great. People are awesome. So uh, all good stuff. Now, in your case, I mean, you started programming quite early. So what got you into computers? Yeah. So, you know, I think that uh, 
kind of the need to uh, uh, provide value and make uh, life easier for people. I just found that uh, with the programming, especially in the web space, is kind of a great place to, to just make things and uh, make them fast and have uh, people using that. So that was always what I liked about, uh, you know, what they call today full stack development, that you just uh, build something. It, it doesn't just show up on a, on a black and white uh, screen, but uh, you actually can uh, create you know, websites out of it. You can create experiences, you can create products and immediately kind of launch them and have people using them and providing feedback. So for me, it was always exciting, like this value creation abilities. And I guess that I found that in uh, programming. Now, obviously, one stop that is necessary for everyone in Israel is the army. So how was the army for you? I mean, what, what were you able to learn from that experience? Yeah, you know, I think that I always say that uh, uh, an army, a lot of people come to me and say, listen, if I don't serve like in this uh, uh, combat uni units, then I'm, I don't make real army. But I think that a lot of the army experience and why it's important in Israel is that you realize that you're going to do something that you're not going to get paid for or almost don't get paid for for three years, you know, for men, it's three years, two years for women. And I think that, um, you know, acknowledging that you're actually doing this contribution, not for yourself, but uh, for something that is a greater cause is something that uh, always I, I found fascinating, right? Um, and I think this is kind of unique in the Israeli landscape. And uh, also probably what uh, one of the reasons that uh, uh, makes Israeli so successful uh, at the end. So for me, it was a great experience. I got to deal with uh, uh, a lot of interesting people. You know, an army in Israel is kind of like a melting pot of everybody that uh, no matter where you came from, what uh, uh, social economics or um, what house you were raised in. And I, I think that this is great to meet a lot of people and work together. Um, I also, you know, was lucky to enough to deal with things that I liked. So um, I got a chance to mentor people, uh, work with stuff that I fell in love with later, which is uh, databases, for example. Uh, one of the most uh, interesting things that uh, I got a chance to deal with. So overall, a great experience. I think experience that definitely kind of builds you up for uh, future endeavors. So in your case, I mean, obviously, having started programming at 12, you knew that computer science, you know, was uh, the next stop, you know, being able to study that. Now, once you did, you know, your degree in computer, in computer science, you know, essentially you started, you know, working, you know, in different, in different companies. Uh, and you even, you know, tried a few endeavors of your own. So what happened there? Yeah, you know, so I studied in, uh, in uh, Technion. In Technion, um, you know, it's a very demanding place. It's like the, the MIT of uh, Israel, a uh, great institute to learn it. I uh, studied software engineering there. And at one point, like I think in the third year, I started to do some projects of my own uh, and even launched a small uh, company of my own, which is uh, which was great because there's a lot of flexibility in, you know, studying and and also making some money. Then after I finished there, you know, uh, me and a bunch of friends did some projects uh, together. Um, I think that before you kind of work in an environment where you get a lot of feedbacks, a lot of uh, time uh, to, uh, to kind of time to fail, time to learn, uh, and, um, and a chance to work with great people, 
it's really hard to go and um and you know start a crazy thing like launching a startup so so for me i would always recommend before you're going unless you have like this you know amazing opportunity or amazing idea or something like that you need to be prepared for something like that because you know it's serious thing you raise money you have a lot of responsibility you hire people so you need to come prepared especially if you're going to be the founder and especially if you're going to be the ceo of that so i think you know it was um, a lot of things that we learned from but up until the next uh, kind of jobs that i had where i actually had the opportunity to work with people that already uh launched startups before you know succeeded failed um i wasn't really ready for what we're doing right now um, at Frontex. So definitely Frontex is the first serious startup that uh, that I launched. Now the segue before Front Frontex was, I mean, you did your few endeavors, you, you worked at a startup too, but then Checkpoint, you know, was the most immediate step before Frontex. So can you walk us through what were the sequence of events that happened in order for you to really come across the idea of front fronting and then for you to be like, you know what, I, I think this, it makes sense to give my notice and go at it with this, this, with this business. Yeah. So when my uh, first kid was born in 2015, I, I said, listen, I have to go. And as I, as I mentioned, like, uh, learn a bit, right. Prepare myself because it was always clear that I'm going to do, uh, uh, something on my own. And I think that, uh, you know, I started 2015, I went to manage a small team um, in uh, Checkpoint. Uh, it was a startup that was acquired by Checkpoint. So I kind of started at the time that uh, it was uh, uh, already kind of moving to uh, to Checkpoint post-acquisition. And from there, you know, I just did my thing. So I managed the team after um, uh, a year, I think less than a year. I kind of uh, moved up to uh, managing a group of people. So there was several teams that were in charge of the whole mobile security within the checkpoint of the products there. Um, and after that, um, you know, I was kind of seeing that there's a lot of movement that is happening in the industry in the B2B SaaS world, right? So more and more products were moving um, to a SaaS approach. And then when I started to play with those products, I saw that, you know, most of them kind of behave very similarly uh, in the way that the users manage uh, everything within their products. So I did a research and took like, um, I think, uh, four, five, six products that Checkpoint already had in the, in the SaaS uh, B2B space and uh, showed the similarities that they had. And we found a lot of common uh, capabilities there. And then I went and kind of researched, okay, how is it being developed? How is the user experience being chosen? And, uh, and what I saw that each time a product needs to be launched, it's kind of, you know, there's a reinvention of the wheel happening, right? Because the collaboration uh, doesn't work so, so well. And, and basically I said, okay, why are we doing that? If we have six products right now, we're going to have 40, 50 in a uh, in few years from now. Uh, so we're spending a lot of resources, we're spending time, and we're also making it hard for our customers to use something that is more unified in the experience. So I went and launched a platform there, uh, along with Aviat, today my co-founder, a uh, platform for SaaS application. And it was uh, a big success. 
Um, and then, you know, studying this area of, um, of B2B SaaS applications outside, we saw that basically it's the same uh, at the outside world. Um, so, you know, same challenges, different solution, but, uh, but we wanted to make it easier for companies to launch, you know, high quality, high standard uh, B2B products. And, uh, and this is where Fronteg um, uh, started late 2019, both myself and Aviad, we left, we started to research, started to talk to uh, potential customers. You know, this is, uh, it was kind of clear for us that uh, this is what we're going to do. This is our passion. Uh, this is what we've been doing for uh, many years, creating solutions for B2B. Uh, and now, you know, let's help others to create uh, better solutions. So that's, uh, that's how it went. So for the people that are listening to get it, what ended up being the business model of Front Egg? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so we are SaaS as well, right? So it's kind of like a SaaS for SaaS uh, product. Um, our customers would typically be uh, B2B uh, companies. Uh, we have customers varying from small startups to Fortune 100 companies. So, you know, they all basically struggle the same uh, from uh, the same struggles and challenges. And, um, and we charge by the amount of activity that you have within your product. So you incorporate us to be a part of your product. And that's basically the value that we're providing is your users um, using uh, our capabilities within your product. So as you will grow with the amount of usage, the amount of customers that you have, the amount of users you have, uh, you will pay us basically uh, uh, upon that. Now, what were the early days like? You know, when, when, when you made that switch from Checkpoint, what, what were the early days like with the company? Yeah, so, you know, we started kind of late 2019, then the COVID hit. So I will say that, you know, it's definitely kind of a unique time to, to start a company. I would say that the challenges and the biggest challenge I think that you have to overcome uh, is hiring the first employees, right? So I think that the first three, four employees would be kind of the founding team. And it's very crucial first to hire like amazing people there. They have to be amazing from the technical point of view, right? Professionally, but uh, also they have to fit a culture, a certain culture that you want to build for your organization. Uh, that along with the fact that, you know, when somebody comes to an office and nobody's sitting there, only two founders with a crazy idea, uh, makes it a, a big challenge to, uh, you know, to bring good people on board. And uh, I would say that this is, uh, you know, definitely been challenge number one, even before, you know, raising money, uh, bringing first customers. Um, this is the first uh, challenge at hand. This ad is brought to you by ShipStation. I mean, I remember when I was saying, doing my book, my previous book, you know, it was incredible, like how much of a nightmare, you know, like shipping all those books to everyone, you know, during the launch was, was it, was, it was really tough. Now, you know, there's this company, it's called ShipStation that sets you up for growth directly by integrating every shopping cart and storefront so that your products are easier to find, easier to manage, uh, easier to get into the hands of the happy customers. So there's no more limiting your business. You can actually right now maximize your sales and save times with consolidated order management and automated shipping updates for your customers. So ship more and grow with 
ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com today and sign up with promo code DEALMAKERS to a free 60-day free trial. Start today and get to set up before the biggest shipping season of the year. That's two months free. Visit ShipStation.com and click the microphone at the top and type in code DEALMAKERS. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing business. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. Now, in your guys' case, I mean, how did you guys go about, you know, really choosing, you know, for innovation instead of like just being one more, you know, one, one, one more of the, of the same, you know, what's going on? Yeah, you know, when we went to investors at the beginning and said, uh, listen, we want to make like this uh, uh, SaaS capabilities uh, shop, basically, where you will uh, just get a lot of SaaS capabilities that will help you make a better product. They were all saying, listen, it's it's uh, uh, everybody likes best of breeds and uh, you cannot be really a platform from the beginning. Uh, and some of them said, listen, we, we're not going to invest money in that, right? We want like this specific small value that you're providing. And that's it. Show us what's that value. And we were going from investor to investor and saying, but this is what we do. We're going to be a platform. Um, and, uh, and I understand if it doesn't fit your thesis, that's, that's okay. So yeah, I, I would definitely say that uh, um, in our case, uh, bringing uh, kind of the, the platform idea and innovating in this uh, uh, B2B space where there has not been almost any innovation in the last 10 years. Um, everybody were about like creating this very generic infrastructures uh, without taking actually an opinionated stand on how things should look for the end user. So even today, if you try to count the amount of products that are actually incorporated within other products on uh, user experience, part of their user experience, uh, you wouldn't find a lot of them, right? So you would find Stripe and, uh, and maybe some more but not a lot of them. And I think that, uh, you know, looking forward, this is what will happen because, you know, if uh, a certain part of your product is already solved, then you don't need to figure out what's the best UI there, how to scale it, how to create an infrastructure. Um, others have already done it. So, you know, just customize it and integrate it uh, within. Obviously, that needs to come with a lot of flexibility, a lot of freedom for uh, the designers and developers to still express themselves. And I think that this is kind of always the balance that we're trying to provide, provide something that is already kind of figured out and is plug and play, but still very flexible and allows our customers to customize everything and, uh, um, you know, configure everything. That's what we do. So, so let's double click on that. How much capital have you guys raised to date? 
Yeah, so we raised uh, $70 million. Uh, the last round was $40 million, uh, which was raised in June uh, this year. Um, and uh, before that, we raised the Series A round of um, $25 million and $5 million uh, seed round. And how have you seen the expectations shift from investors from one financing cycle to the next? Yeah, I think that, you know, we chose uh, our investors in a way that they understand the importance of making great products. Uh, so I think that both, um, you know, uh, Pitango and starting from i3, which is a small fund uh, that were the first to fund us, uh, Global Founders Capital and now Insight Partners and Stripes, uh, definitely um, understand the importance of great products. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they, they, when they spoke to our customers, they just saw the love that our customers have for our products. And I think that, uh, this is the most important thing, you know, understand that there's a market and understand that the market is going to love your product. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, has been like the focus. I will say that, um, you know, we definitely see scale up happening since, uh, the last, uh, um, investment or a bit before that. Um, I wouldn't tie it like completely to raising the Series B. Obviously, it helps. It also helps to have uh, a new VC like Stripes uh, along with us in this journey. Um, but uh, but yeah, now we're moving more to the US. So I actually moved the family here uh, a month ago uh, to build the go-to-market motion. Uh, so we're building the sales and marketing team here, uh, developer advocacy. Um, you know, so um, now we're at the Bay Area as well, having a very strong foundation of product and engineering uh, in uh, in Israel. Um, you know, that's the foundation to build a great uh, company. I think that everybody are kind of uh, leaned on that. So tell us about the, you know, the the really coming. Well, I mean, why Israel? Why leaving Israel and coming to the U.S.? I mean, what was the uh, the intention there, and and what was that experience like? Yeah, you know, so first of all, it's uh, very new. So that's actually the first podcast I've been doing from here. So, uh, you know, so I always, uh, always remember it, right? <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, it's still happening. So we moved like uh, three weeks ago. Um, and, um, and it was obvious that it's going to be a challenge, at least, you know, from the family side, but also on the company level, right? So it's a new reality for everybody, a new reality for uh, the management uh, and for uh, the employees to have uh, uh, the CEO moving um, um, so far away uh, with a huge uh, time zone difference. Um, I think that uh, the reason, so I always say that there are two main reasons. I think that um, we're building products for developers. And I think that, you know, this is the place to be, um, you know, building products for developers. So the ecosystem is here. Um, the customers are here. And uh, the second reason also tied to that is that uh, um, I think that, that there is a great talent in uh, Israel. Uh, but I think that when you're selling to developers and selling, uh, and you, most of your market is uh, in the U.S. and you're selling to them, it's important you know, to also bring talent that has experience in that. And I think that most of this go-to-market talent uh, is uh, located here in the U.S., the combination of having very strong people close to the product people in Israel and having strong engineers there uh, laying the foundation for the product 
and having a very strong go-to-market leadership, strategic leadership here. Um, I think that's the key to, to success, especially in our use case. And in your guys' case, I mean, also for you as the CEO and founder, I mean, you guys got started here with the business before like craziness, you know, pandemic, now economic uh, stuff happening. How has it been for you too to adjust to the to the realities, to the factors that are outside of your control, uh, like COVID or now, you know, like the the macroeconomic environment? I mean, how has it been that adjustment for you too? Yeah, I think that one thing uh, that I find in many founder colleagues, and definitely find about myself, is that we always keep ourselves like at a very high stress level, right? So we're never like calm. We're never uh, sitting and saying, oh, things are great. Let's chill. So I would definitely say that if there is no COVID um, and no like shift in the market, we're still kind of, you know, very anxious about uh, the business, about everything. That's just, I think that that's what makes uh, founders uh, good, you know, being able to deal with uh, with all this uncertainty and with all the craziness. So I think that when something like that happens, definitely that would help us deal with it um, in, a, in a better way, uh, not to be stressed out by that, right? So So it's always keeping like, a high stress level probably and be and just um, um being able to to deal with it um so i would say that uh definitely you know we started the company and then covid hit uh we moved to a new office i remember when we just uh launched the company in 2019 2 weeks later so it was a we work office 2 weeks later um they would just close down the office and uh, we signed the lease and we were like, oh, wow, we have a lease now. And uh, what are we going to do? And then there was a you know, quarantine in Israel. So uh, we couldn't even meet for, uh, for a few months. And then the challenge of hiring first people, like uh, when you cannot meet them, right? And now, obviously, things are uh, shifting as well. So uh, um, a lot of things happen uh, in the world, uh, especially in the tech SaaS world. So I would definitely say that um, we just need to deal with it and we need to make the right decision uh, all the time. Uh, and even today, luckily for us, you know, we have a very strong foundation. We build a team that is capable of dealing with hard things, uh, is capable of hearing hard news and deal with it. And, uh, and I always say that when you hire your management, you need to open everything. Right, so at Frontech, it's complete. Everything is completely transparent. You have access to all of the data, right? As long as it's not violating any privacy. So, and you just need to be able to deal with it, even if it's bad. And so, I would definitely say that uh, you know, if you hire people and they're only going to be good if everything is good, those probably are not the the right people for a startup. Um, and that's what we feel today. So to get an idea on the scope and size, you know, for the folks that are right now tuning in, what, I mean, anything that you feel comfortable sharing, like number of employees or anything else? Yeah, so Frontex uh, today employs uh, about 50 people, and that's uh, both in uh, Israel. So most of the engineering team in Israel, we have engineers in uh, Europe as well, um, and now building uh, marketing and sales leadership uh, at the U.S., yeah, we're serving uh, uh, about uh, more than 200 uh, companies 
uh, today, everything varying from small startups to uh, uh, Fortune 100 companies. Um, and, um, and, you know, we service their critical infrastructure. You know, it's no, no joke, right? So uh, if a product like ours is down, there's no product for our customers. Uh, so that's a lot of responsibility and you need to build a very strong foundation uh, to be able to, uh, to deal with it. And that's, uh, that I would say a bit about us. As you said, we raised uh, around $70 million in uh, total and uh, growing fast. So now imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Frontag is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, uh, I think that uh, in a world where it's realized, you would get to like any product um, that that you want to launch, uh, especially in the B two B space, but not only. And you don't have to worry about the like encore foundation of the product. So if you want to innovate, you can innovate. Uh, purely with the new exciting things and with the core value that you bring to customers. I think that today you still need to deal with a lot of encore stuff, right? Uh, the table stakes capabilities, they take a lot of your focus uh, from actually achieving um, your goals and achieving kind of the, um, you know, the real value of why customers pay the money for your product. And for us, that has always been the vision to help others innovate uh, in a faster, better way. Now, if I was to put you into a time machine, sorry, and I bring you back in time to, a, let's say, you know, like maybe that moment where you were coming out of university after having studied computer science and, you know, when you were like doing your, your little projects here and there and, and you had the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self and giving your younger self one piece of advice for launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? I would definitely say uh, go as early as you can to work with strong people that have already achieved uh, kind of what you're up for, right? Because I think that there's no uh, value bigger than, you know, working with those people together and learning from them. I would never like say to this, uh, you know, 23 year old, go and launch a startup immediately. No, because you know, that 23 year old, he wasn't ready for that. Right. But to be there, not spend time and work in places that would really help you to get there when you are ready. I think that's the most important thing. So I would definitely tell people, you know, think of, what you're, it is like that you're trying to achieve, like in 10 years from now, now you have to do the things that will help you get there. Um, no, don't spend time like on, on anything other than that. And just out of curiosity, like how do you know, let's say like you go and you work with people that, that could help you or maybe like a startup that will give you the chops. At what point do you realize that, uh, you know, now that you are able to look back, you know, in time to maybe that you realize that you're ready? Because you, you've been alluding to that to a certain degree. At what point do you know you're ready to, to start something? That's a great question. I think that you never really know, but um, that's a matter of kind of risk management, right? That's something that we as founders always do. Uh, you need to feel ready enough, I guess, right? So you will never be like 100% ready, but not doing anything and expecting that, you know, you'll just be able to solve everything. Uh, I see too many people that are going in those directions, like not for the right reasons when they are not yeah. ready. 
And usually the results are not good, right? And so definitely like learn from the experience of others. That would be my, uh, my advice. And when you feel ready enough, um, that's, you know, that's the, the time. Uh, obviously for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a person that always like to do things in parallel. So for example, um, you know, starting out a family, uh, for me, it gives a lot of confidence in my life to also do and achieve more things, uh, new, exciting things. So for me, it's kind of the foundation for everything. And this is also, uh, uh was part of the cues for me of, uh, when is the time. Now for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, so just write me at saggy at frontech.com. I'm always glad to chat. Amazing. Well, hey, Saggy, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you, Alejandro. Honor to be here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember, that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.